On this episode of Unorthodox, we are likely to engage in witty banter and group hugs, but those hugs may contain profane language. So while we want you to listen, we want you to wait until a time when the children are out of the room. Yeah. Latkes are the Natalie Portman of holiday foods. <laughs> so we're, the most what's overrated, Mila Kunis? Awful. Mila Kunis is the Sufganiyot. Hello, Jews, etc. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet senior writer Liel Leibowitz. Marhaba wa marhaba. And Tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Why do I have to go second? Do you always go second? I always I go second. In the Mazel Tovs, I make it, I always That's make true. sure to switch you guys But no out. one listens your, to the end your, of the show, so. Your intro is worth like 70% on a, on a man's intro. It's true. You hit the pod, the, you've hit the intro glass ceiling. It's true. The Ira glass ceiling. Our, <laughs> <laughs> You guys didn't come ready this morning. Oh, my God. Didn't drink more coffee. Our Jew of the Week is Jason Diamond, author of a new book about growing up in the shadow of John Hughes movies like 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club. And our Gentile of the Week is a twofer, and it's half Jewish, so that's odd. It's Casper Turkile and Vanessa Zoltan, who host a sensational podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which has taken the podcast world by storm. They read a chapter of Harry Potter every week and then analyze the spirituality within it. It's like that perfect intersection of like internet gold. It, it is. The it really is. It's like, how personified. Did they, yeah, yeah. It's like religion it's so podcast, good. Harry Potter. It's like, we're done. We're, we're done. done here. Here you go. My first question that was entirely going to be like, so when you hit on this idea, like you knew it was good. But like how big was the high five when you guys said, I know what we'll do. Um, anyway, uh, Jews. What's up? I saw our girl Natalie Portman in Jackie this weekend. And oh I think. God. Did you really? It was really good. Um, very grim. Very Can I dark. tell you, I would rather watch an actual assassination <laughs> than watch Natalie Portman in this movie about an assassination. See, I, you hate Natalie Portman. Oh my so god! We'll get to this a different week, but like, you really hate very. If specific, I were Kennedy, you hate like and I was Sarah Silverman, married you to hate Natalie, Portman, Natalie Portman. I would, I would pray for someone to he shoot hates, me just to yeah, end this what, misery. This what like brown-haired thing? Jewish female thing. Like, what is your thing against hot Jewish female stars? Do you hate Rachel Weisz? Do you hate like, what? <laughs> sir? <laughs> why do you hate hot? No, you know because. What when is you wrong say with you? Hot yeah. female Jewish stars. You know who I think? I think Mila Kunis is a fucking. Oh, you like her? Hum- so yes, yes, you don't like like the Ashkenazi being. thing. I like humans. I like people. Right, <laughs> Mila Kunis from Russia is not yeah. the Ashkenazi thing. I know what Stephanie saying. I like saying, people though, like, who have a soul, not like kind of. Okay, like, so w- was it on that seventy show that her soul <laughs> glowed through to you? It's like what, everything that is she it does, in, she's amazing. It's the Ashton Kutcher it was, thing. It was forgetting Sarah so, Marshall, where oh, he yeah, saw I mean, her soul. Of course, yeah. that was that's her best. Yeah. Forgetting Sarah Marshall I'm is sorry, my favorite movie. If you haven't seen Bad Moms. She's which, great in that. Which, which one of us paid to see. Uh, it's a great movie. She's great at that. The, uh, look, Mila Kunis is great. All due respect to Mila Kunis, but you do have a thing about certain Jewish female. I ha- well, Sarah Silverman and Natalie Portman are two very different animals. Okay, let's talk Natalie Portman because I want to get back to this. The movie was very good. It's like basically an hour and a half of like a close shot up on her face. And for the first 20 minutes, oh, you're like, it's Natalie Portman. It's Natalie Portman. And L- then like, looking, looking wooden. Yeah, like, and yeah. then at one moment, you're like, it's, it's Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually perfect because Jackie was so fucking wooden. And now Natalie Portman she, she is, is playing the wooden is version wooden, of that wooden first lady. Is, is like, it takes a little while to get used to, but. And then they keep replaying the assassination, like, and it's like in very gory. Yeah. Like the what the no, his the, brain you, shot out I, the I other know, side. But right? you call me when Leslie Jones plays Lady Bird Johnson. <laughs> That's a movie I would go to see. <laughs> we should all go see Leo. Can we agree that we'll go see the the Jackie movie? I mean, so we can at least have a we can have a tish grim. about it. The only way we should do it is if we are really tripping on mushrooms and recording <laughs> for this podcast the whole time. Okay. Well, and everyone's going to be like, shh. Can you, yeah. get the, can you get shrooms? Uh, of uh, course not, of course. mom. Okay. Well, that, could, that couldn't be arranged. That doesn't wink, seem like wink. the safe space that I'd want to do <laughs> mushrooms with, you guys. Like the Columbus Circle, <laughs> Odeon Cineplex while watching Natalie Port. I've. I don't Odeon Cineplex. I don't. You're, you're only 28 years. <laughs> Odeon doesn't exist anymore. Let's go to the Cineplex this week. All right. So you saw Natalie Portman, Liel. What, what, what did you see? What's happening in Liel? Land? I saw nothing. You always see something. I saw the sign, uh, and it opened up my mind. <laughs> uh, so I'm not Secretary of State. It's a it's, little bit disappointing. Could to have me. been you. Could have been any. There of was us. like a one in hundred chance. There's a chance. There's that that a, a chance there. I so, feel like had you made your pitch. He would have been like, this guy knows what's up. Yeah. He can probably he solve looked, the Israeli-Palestine conflict. He looks apart. Yeah. If you were the last guy in the room, you would have been secretary. I mean, come on. Who, who would you rather solve the conflict, me or Jared Kushner? I, I don't know. He went to Jared. 
This is that's basically what, that's what BB's gonna say. That's the Trump like pitch. Like, yeah. oh, he went to Jared. <laughs> Sid and I are obsessed with that. Whenever it comes on, starting like after Thanksgiving, it's like, hey, babe, is this the year that do I get my Jared? Really? She's been to London, Paris, and her son plays baseball. You psychic? No, I speak Pandora. He went to Jared. She doesn't really wear much jewelry. Because you haven't gone to Jared. Because I haven't gone to Jared. You went to Jared, Jared but you didn't pay. Because not much of a jewelry store. <laughs> You're good. I know. That's why he went to Jared. All right. Well, speaking of jewelry, Ellie got her ears pierced this week. OMFG. She wanted pierced ears. And so she went to Piercing Pagoda, product placement. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a national chain or if that's just where I've everyone- I've never heard of it. It's, on the po- it's in the Post Road Mall in uh, Milford. And she went to Piercing Pagoda and got where they'll do both ears at once. So if it's like hurts, oh. you know- you don't chicken out because otherwise I think there's some I did one inferior pagodas where girls get little girls get one ear freak out and, and that was up, me that was you and then so I got one freaked out I was like mom we gotta go and she's like no you literally have to finish you can't just have one ear pierced that's worse and then I was so upset I refused to take them out you have to like clean them every yeah, night yeah and I, used to, I refused to let anyone touch them and then in the middle of the night my mom took them out and I was like you're done you're, how old and were I, you I was little, but then I had to, I wait, waited like a few more years and got them again. So I will say, and this is, this is like talking about, you know, childbirth or parenting or whatever, like it gets the angry male. I think people who get their little, little kids ears pierced, like the babies with the pierced ears, I hate that. I think it's, it strikes me as kind of trashy. It's like, oh, you're, you're ready to turn I love off. seeing a baby with like the ears pierced. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And it's like, it seems like let the child choose for herself. And whenever I make this argument, of course, people remind me I come from a tradition where we slice penises of eight day old boys. But that's for God. But that's for God. It's totally different. Not for like grandma and, you know, well. But isn't the first... argument that you're they don't even remember? That is the argument. But what if someday they don't want, like that assumes at some point every girl has to have her ears pierced. That's, that's why true. my kids have tattoos. <laughs> I don't even remember. It's like, has, Dad, what's that has, on my back? Like, don't worry about it. I just want to welcome some new subscribers to our newsletter. Um, this is a very long law firm. This is the law firm of Samantha Green, Nina Hall, Aaron Eisman, Anna Chodos, Rebecca Pollock, Hannah Hazy, Saul Morse, Eve Gable Frank, who has a very fetching photograph in her Google uh, email. Jamie, Eve Gable Frank? Eve Gable hyphen Frank. Sounds like an amazing name. It's like Anne of Green Gable Frank. I know that sounds like a, like it's a literally like everything. Old timey Hollywood, yeah. you know, 20s actress. Yeah. And I'm really in. Did I mention I'm really into her photo? You did. I did, yeah. Uh, Jamie Halberstam, Joel Pliskin, Henry Levy, uh, Levy, Wait, sorry. Yeah, what's, you got in trouble for mispronouncing. So it was his dad. I mispronounced his dad's, I called it so, Levy when apparently it's L-E-V-Y. Is it's Le- always Levy. Anyway, Eric Goldberg, uh, the South African who's now in London, Gene Jordan, Gigi Yellencone, Carlin Altman, Nick Frumpkin, Ann Browdy, Ari Herbert, the brilliantly named Samantha Bialystock, best name of the week. We'll get back to her in a second. David Lev, Bryce Lobel, Rick Goldstein, Mike Scheinberg, Andrea Nahum, and Samuel Arbusman. Samantha Bialystok, how do you picture her? Samantha Bialystok is sitting in an office in Broadway a- about a year ago. Be like, you know what would be amazing? Let's find the dumbest reality TV show star we can. Running for president, it will never work. We'll make millions. You think she's behind Trump? <laughs> Stephanie, what do you think of Samantha Bialystok? I think of like... Well, first of all, look, I think of a Bialy and it makes me hungry. So I actually can't get any farther than that. But I love her. I love that name. To get the newsletter, send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. A lot of news of the Jews. Two Sufgan Yot stories this week. Now, the first one is that Israel's health minister, who is a Ger Hasid named Yaakov Litzman, uh, who's had a thing against McDonald's before. What was his campaign against McDonald's? He's amazing. Just don't eat it because it's shit. <laughs> so he's the Israeli Michael Bloomberg. He's Israeli Morgan Spurlock. He's like the super size me guy. He's like, you know what's horrible? That. He's like, I ate all of it and it's bad. He's like, I'm a Haredi man. I virtually, I have cholent every day. Um, I eat fish in a can. You know what you shouldn't eat? McDonald's, McDonald's right. Uh, and is his argument just health? Is just- well, no, now he has a new crusade. The new crusade is Sufganil, the jelly donuts. He's like, you know what? I know you're supposed to eat them on Hanukkah, but just don't. They're bad for you. They're fried dough with sugar and but Jam. Like, if, if people are only eating donuts eight days a year, like why doesn't it just chill? Like I focus on America where we are eating like a hundred donuts a day. Because or, he's our Michelle Obama. Our Michelle Obama is a Haredi man. <laughs> 
great arms. That's, that's how but, hot I mean, we what, are. what next for Yaakov Litzman? Like, is he gonna is he gonna run a marathon in full Haredi garb? I mean, is he really into health or is he just kind of a nudge? He's hundred percent into health. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> and he's right. I mean, why are you right. eating this shit? And yet, Burger King has just introduced the Sugani King, a burger inside a jelly donut. Is this is only in Israel, right? In every sense of the word, only oh, in Israel? I, I only don't in see. Israel. And in the Burger King in Muncie, New Now, York. Mark, describe to our listeners what the Sugani King is. Well, it's, it's a burger inside a jelly donut. No, do it in like a sexy burger commercial voice. <laughs> a beef patty. <laughs> slathered in jelly. <laughs> German Jews have introduced a program called Rent-A-Jew. Um, <laughs> I couldn't do better than to read to quote from the article in The Telegraph, the, the British newspaper. You think I jest, but listen. Quote, a Jewish community outreach group in Germany has hit on an eye-catching name for its program of educational seminars, Rent-A-Jew. Set up by European Janusz Korzak Academy, a Munich-based educational organization, Rent-A-Jew seeks to counter anti-Semitism by sending ordinary Jewish people <laughs> – I can't even go on. By sending ordinary Jewish people into German schools, colleges, and universities to speak about their lives and experiences and to dispel myths about Jews. My first question is like, how ordinary do you have to be? Like, would we even make the well, cut? That, or are we like really weird Jews? So I'm very happy you asked this question because it's it's a rental service, right? So like every <laughs> rental service, there are different tiers. It's like, well, you know, our basic package is, is called the Oppenheimer. It's Jewish. It kind of goes to shul, but only on Mondays. It sort of believes then something. Then you can like, upgrade to the Leibowitz. But that, that's exactly right. That's if right. you want the premium package, you get it's the Leibowitz. It's on the fill-in every morning. That's the fill-in territory. That's like, you know, Temple Mount enthusiast. What's, what's gold? But, or pla- what's platinum? Well, it's gold, platinum it's Goldman. Is, is the, <laughs> Goldman is the Butnik because that's just the newest. Grew up on Long Island. It's the newest model. It's the whole thing. Yeah, smear. that's true. So here's my problem with this. If you're trying to dispel stereotypes about Jews, then why would you call your program Rent a Jew? Like, why does money, like this like rental part, it sounds like there's an exchange of money happening, which makes me uncomfortable. Jew for free. Here's the amazing thing. It occurred to me when I was reading about this that that's kind of what unorthodox, like we are rented Jews. Give us money. We'll come to your town. Yeah, we're mad they stole it. Like they named it first. People of Germany, (laughs) we will not charge you. (laughs) Just the price of the ticket. Just expenses. And we will be your Jews. It's funny because it didn't the German... the Jewish Museum in Berlin have like Jew in a box with Jamie Kirchick and our and our contributor Jamie Kirchick went and sat in the box and like you were people asking him questions it was like you could like interact with a Jew that had a little more like layered nuance to it the idea it that Jews more... were on display and you had to like like they were set apart so that was like intentional it was a little more Mark, performance art yeah. Mark do you, do you know what the Jewiest thing to do is what's that to, to try to one up the rent a Jew <laughs> service by Setting up a competing rent-a-juicer. <laughs> don't go to that rent-a-ju. Our rent-a-ju is 15%. Much better value. value. Those are the Jews I don't rent. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Here all day. Um, you know where Stephanie you aren't. Think on fire. You know where you fire. aren't is Lebanon. Because their government issued a statement saying that any Lebanese person working as a flight attendant anywhere in the world is prohibited from flying to Israel. So even if you're a Lebanese-American working for Delta, you should listen to Beirut, refuse to land in Tel Aviv. This is very... This is very Big, big brotherish. Like I don't understand. Can you do that? It doesn't make any sense. But it will make, I think, for the funniest kind of in-flight safety video. <laughs> in case of landing in Tel Aviv, uh, gas masks would fall from the ceiling. Death Assist before children first, and then yourself, and then hide. It's death before dishonor. Any anything but bailing in Israel, where you might end up eating a Sufgani king. <laughs> Upcoming live shows, February 10th, 2017. We will be at Temple Israel in West Palm Beach, Florida. And there's another upcoming live show or two. And these are biggies. These are huge. These are amazing. But we cannot quite reveal it yet. But we will be revealing very, 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 very soon. It's Temple Mount, Jerusalem. (laughs) We're just going to do it. We're We're just going to bring peace. Look, subscribe on iTunes, review us on iTunes, and send us an email saying you reviewed us on iTunes. Send the email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com, and you'll get a cool free gift. We're now getting the second order emails where people who reviewed us got their cool free gift and are now writing to us saying, thanks for the cool free gift. And then I'm writing back and it's like I have a whole bunch of new Here's friends Here's another gift. This will never end. This will never the end. The violence. keeps on giving. That's right. To Mark. All right. Our Gentile of the Week this week 
is a twofer, and it's a half-Jewish Gentile, so just bear with us. Uh, we welcome Vanessa Zoltan and Casper Turkheil. They are the hosts of an amazing podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which has approximately a billion subscribers on iTunes. Um, they are Harvard folk. She is a research assistant at Harvard Divinity School, uh, and Casper is the author of How We Gather, which is a cultural map of millennial communities. He's a graduate of Harvard Divinity School, like Vanessa, and he's training to be a minister for non-religious people. He lives in Cambridge with his husband, Sean. But that does not stop my wife, Sid, from having a crush on Casper. We met them in <laughs> Colorado, and she won't stop talking about his sexy voice, his his sexy shirts. His She was... Sid was absolutely smitten. Do you think his she'll actually is... listen to the podcast now? She may listen this, this week. This may be the episode. Plus, his name is Casper. You're you're Mark. Yeah, you guys have you know the best names. I know, and his, he has that Dutch like Turkile, like it weird prefix. And Vanessa his last Zoltan, name. you guys are really they're hot. They're, they're smoking. We're made for radio. You're what we should be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, guys. Um, first of all, we're all on the Panoply Network together. You guys make the money that allows them to suffer us. Um, how did you? You're yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, how did you hatch this idea? And and when you hatched it at that moment, was there like, oh yeah, that's pay dirt? Like we're gonna do Harry Potter and religion on podcast. We're basically going to to win the internet with this. Um, so I wrote my um, thesis in divinity school on treating secular texts as if they were sacred, and th- my version of the story, which pisses Casper off is that I was hosting a small group with four or five people um, treating Jane Eyre as a sacred text and Casper is a good friend and so he came to the class and after the class he was like this was lovely and brilliant and it would be even better if it was done with a book that people actually read (laughs) and so he had the idea of doing it with Harry Potter so the the you know selling out bit was Casper's idea yeah that's all me I still haven't read Jane Eyre I feel bad (laughs) I read that one chapter for that book group, but friendship over. Like, Rochester sounds like a sounds a bit like a douche. So I love this idea of treating a secular text as as a sacred text. And Vanessa, I, I read some interview in which you said that the criteria, uh, or the main criterion, is that the text be. You had some beautiful phrase, duly complicated. Is, is that correct? Yes. Uh, what what the pretentious thing I said? How do you choose? Like what 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 qualifies as a sacred text? Yeah. So the first. Thing is that it has to be something that you naturally love, um, is what I always say. It's just a low hurdle. I think treating something as sacred is actually a hard, rigorous, maybe boring thing at times. And so I think it's really important to start with something that you like. Um, and then the duly complicated thing, it, it's a very Jewish answer, which is that, you know, three people should be able to read it and have four different opinions. And if not, You know, if it's too literal, then I think it lends itself to being profane. And I think that too literal of readings of any scripture um, lend themselves to being profane instead of sacred. So Sir Mix-a-Lot need not apply. Exactly. Well, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder. And and what does it mean when he says he does not lie? I mean, that's that's a complicated question. I'm not sure that's so literal. Wait, before I'm, we go any further, just so to be clear, you're reading a chapter a week for how many years is this going to take you? Like when, what week does this end? (laughs) Yeah, well, if if we're doing it well, there's 199 chapters across the seven books, so that maps out of just about four years. So we're in, uh, we're, in we're into seven months, I think, right now. So <laughs> stick with us. So this is like a Dafyomi <laughs> undertaking. Totally, yeah. <laughs> Which takes seven years, right? So, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about Harry Potter that you encounter when you're when you you know do try to treat it as a sacred text? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because often from within the religious world, this project really gets kind of sidelined or or laughed at a little bit as something silly. And I think what people don't realize is how many, uh, especially people our age in their 20s and 30s who grew up with this text, how many people turn to it in in times of struggle. So after a breakup or after a death in the family, people will turn to these books as an anchor in their lives. And so we, we didn't really have to try hard. You know, we were just illustrating something that people were already doing. So we we try and lift up the seriousness for 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 Harry Potter readers, you know, who get dismissed by the religious world. But on the other hand, you know, sometimes within the fan world, um, people think of us as as you know. Um, being maybe uh, a, a little apocryphal, uh, you know, because we're, we're going beyond just what's written in the page by imagining, well, maybe why did they do this? Or, um, you know, what does it mean that A, B and C happens? Um, so we kind of find our, find our place really between the fan world and between the meaning making world. And, and uh, sometimes, you know, folks on either side don't quite make sense of that. 
fans also regularly school us. Yeah. We, we really love the books, but we've each only read them. This is my third time. Right, I me think. too. And so fans are like, no, you idiots. That doesn't come up till book whatever. It's I mean, only your con- third time. She doesn't time. commit suicide. Right. right. I have a cousin who's read them all 37 times. I mean, they're like right. third is nothing. You guys are pikers. Yeah, probably a, we're probably a secret. We shouldn't have to sell it. that them. happens to us too. I mean, people write in and they're like, you don't know anything about Judaism. Have you read the Bible? It's like, and we're like, only okay. Read it three times. Yeah, I'm like, okay, you come, you get up every Wednesday, every Tuesday morning and do this. Right. So let, let me ask you this. I, I'm assuming there was a moment when you were recording this in which, you know, kind of like the, the concept really sort of shone through. I mean, you had a discussion about a certain chapter and, and you stopped for a second and said, Oh wow! This really resonates deeply with a sort of you know spiritual religious themes. D- tell me, kind of like a highlight. My favorite moment was one we really didn't anticipate, but we were doing a Christian practice that um, we called a mat. What do we call it? Spiritual imagination. Sacred imagination. <laughs> Sacred imagination. That's what we call it. Um, and we were imagining what it was like to be Hermione while she's being attacked. Um, by a troll and she's 11 years old and this is supposed to sort of be an adventure scene I think at least that's how I had always read it and then in imagining ourselves to be in Hermione's shoes we we came to the conclusion in our conversation that she really thought she was going to die and that this was an existential crisis moment for her and that if it hadn't happened she sort of I mean she's a kiss up throughout the entire series, but she was just a kiss-up and a real rule follower prior to this. And so we saw a real character shift in Hermione due to this trauma. And I think that it's changed the way that I read Hermione in general. And in terms of she's a traumatized person, and so no wonder she can empathize so well with Harry, who's a traumatized person. And I think as far as a religious reading, it's allowed me to think about what traumas we all carry that, you know, we don't assume in one another or that are invisible. You can know a story about someone and not realize the huge impact that it's had on them. And what, what I loved about that moment was we were doing one of our, in every chapter, we, we do a kind of um, spiritual practice as part of the as part of the podcast. And, um, you know, we have to adapt a little bit. So we do Havruta, but we also do Lectio Divina, where you read a text or even sometimes just a word in four stages. And this sacred imagination practice comes from St. Ignatius, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who uh, founded the Jesuits and, and uh, you know, had this practice in his spiritual direction where you had to imagine yourself into a gospel story and kind of sense with you know, all the five senses, what was happening. And, you know, by by engaging in that kind of rigorous imagination, you would learn new things about, in this case, the character of Jesus. For us, the character of Hermione. Um, and it, it was awesome because we kind of sat there with the text in front of us talking into the microphones and we just looked at each other and we were just like, oh my gosh, this is why she becomes friends with Ron and Harry. So it's just, you, you learn more about the characters and you learn more about yourself. I think that, that's why we love doing it. And it's interesting because Emma Watson, who plays Hermione, you know, memorably, has recently been credited with the Hillel the Elder quote, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? So I think she also is reaching into like religious tradition. When that troll chased her, she stopped and said, you know? <laughs> she said, if I stand on... Now when? If I stand on one foot, <laughs> that's right. I will not get... Well, and I think Hermione is Jewish, so I'm very excited that she was cast as a black actress. Say more. Say more. She has bushy hair. She's the smartest girl in the class. She's a know-it-all who does all the reading. She actually has a valley girl accent. (laughs) Her parents are dentists. I mean, come on. This is a Jewish character. Wow. Have you said that on the podcast? It's probably been edited out. We have a very smart editor. But I definitely said it. Is your but is your listenership like who are they? Are they, I mean they're everyone because you have a billion listeners. But it, you know are they um, are they? It's a real mix. Are they it's druidic oriented? Are they you know the way Narnia is Christian? Is Harry Potter right. appealing to you know Presbyterians? Like, I don't even Presbyterian know. Muggles. Well, Presbyterian muggles. Presbyterian so, muggles, right? <laughs> so Vanessa and I sat down the first time we really started talking to us. Uh, first time we really started talking about using this text as a sacred text. And I sat down and I was like, well, Vanessa, you know, is it okay? Because this is such a Christian text. And the first thing Vanessa said is, no, it's such a Jewish text, you know, because on the one hand, it's all about the Holocaust. And on the other hand, it's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So (laughs) what? what's really great is is that really our our listenership spans the gamut. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in in dark hours, I go onto our iTunes reviews and and make myself feel better. And, uh, you know, you have people on there who, who write, 
I'm super suspicious of religion. I don't don't like organized religion, but this is really my church. But you know, your version's really... cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then you also have people who are saying, you know, I'm a rabbi or I'm an evangelical Christian and I love this podcast or one who wrote, I love Jesus and I love Harry Potter. And so I think what's awesome is that this isn't like an interfaith podcast thing. It's, it, it's finding common ground. Like we all love this story and we're all bringing our own experience and the stories we were raised with to it. And what can we learn from it? You know, I think that's... That's what really makes it magical for me. Can you just explain to our readers now? I mean, what what is the the Harry Potter and the Holocaust connection? I didn't know that. Oh my God, it's everywhere. It is. <laughs> I mean, the real. Mo- I mean, you know, if you're me, the Holocaust is just everywhere. But Same. I feel like you all get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I listen to Unorthodox. I know you guys. So, um, but so, it's. I mean, the big moment is Hermione is being tortured in Book Seven. And they write muggle, they carve muggle into her forearm. And it's a tattoo on her forearm that scars for the rest of her life. But it's it really is everywhere in terms of sorting people into, you know, according to bloodline and, you know, sort of being witch hunts for certain people, certain kinds of people. And Could you guys whoa. write this piece for Tablet? <laughs> this would break the Internet if you wrote this piece for us. Oh my God, Happily. Harry Potter and the Holocaust. We we can stop publishing for three months. It will just right. repeat the piece. Vanessa's uh, your girl. <laughs> yes. If you want Harry Potter and the Holocaust, I'm definitely your girl. What definitely. our listeners don't know is that whenever Vanessa, because we always tell a story from our own life, right, to illustrate to illustrate the story from from the Potter series, um, and very often uh, Vanessa reaches into Holocaust material, and so I start chanting whenever that happens: Holocaust, Holocaust, <laughs> Holocaust, which which is edited out every week. So yeah, there's the difference love- between your podcast and ours: is we would not that would be like that would be the intro for our show. It's I love like- how you put it, you know. Holocaust material. It's like, did you ever notice that in the Holocaust, there's not not enough food? What's up with that? It's just like the story. <laughs> um, hey, listen, guys, this is amazing. Thank you for joining us. What um, if people are to start with one episode? Do they have to start at the beginning, or can you do you have a do you have a fave? So you should start at the beginning because we explain the experiment. Except that the first episode is definitely our worst episode. So. I don't. I love that one. <laughs> oh my god! It's that embarrassing pilot episode. I like the, our one on hope. That's our my favorite. That's the one that gets the most emails. Yeah. What, um, what I think, book I think, and chapter? How do people find that? So it is book one chapter. Casper is looking it up right now. It's a tractate Dumbledore. <laughs> exactly. But I we get a lot of email about it because I talk about how I don't really believe in hope, so we get people get really mad about that, you know, on account of the Holocaust. Yeah, the Christians get really mad about that. Exactly, but the Jews... They're all like, like, he's risen. What do you mean you don't believe in hope? hope? Who believes in hope? Who believes in hope? (laughs) Exactly. Pass the seltzer. (laughs) Vanessa keeps saying obvious things. Like, there's no reason for hope. It's book one, chapter 13. Um, Hey, do you say Zoltan or Zoltan or Zoltor? Or It's it's such an awesome (laughs) sci-fi villain name. How do you say your last name? Zoltan. Zoltan. But uh, it is pronounced Zoltan, but I say Zoltan. Can I call you Zoltan? You absolutely okay. um, can. Our guests have been Vanessa Zoltan and Casper Turkile. They are the hosts of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is an amazing podcast that you can get on panoply.fm or on iTunes or wherever podcasts are beamed to you. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Take Thank care. you. Bye. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. 
Our Jew of the Week is Jason Diamond, who's the author of Searching for John Hughes, about how the late great director's movies uh, got him through a really crappy childhood in suburban Chicago. Jason is a former editor of our sister site, Juicy.com. That's J-E-W-C-Y.com, which people should still check out. And he's now the sports editor for Rolling Stone. So I'm like, we have to have many late night drinks like barista made drinks since you your book is largely about how uh, or, or drink drinks or drink drinks since your book has a lot of you work as a barista in it but um i'm fairly encyclopedic on the stuff that you're working on though not as encyclopedic as you john hughes movies were a major major part of my childhood um what's weird is john hughes movies are about semi-idyllic childhoods and you had pretty much the worst childhood i've read about outside of a holocaust memoir i mean (laughs) like your your dad was physically abusive to you and your mom when you were what a sophomore in high school junior yeah but was like sophomore peace out i'm moving to south carolina you can come if you like but please don't and you couch surfed for a couple years like what did john hughes movies where the biggest problem was that you know daddy wanted you to get into an ivy league school and you just wanted to draw what did they have to say to you i mean they were just kind of a blueprint for the life I wanted. I remember watching him when I was a little kid and thinking, wow, this is my backyard. This is wonderful. I'd love to have a life like this where the biggest problem is somebody forgets my birthday. Um, and, you know, I mean, when you're a little 16 kid, candles. That yeah. Day. Yeah. When you're a little kid, you're not really registering. I mean, things seem crappy, but you're really not thinking about like how crappy they are. But when you get older, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. That's why I really like those movies. So it was it was. It was fantasy, basically. Yeah, it was like, absolutely. Because you were also growing up in the same area. Like, this was your backyard. Yeah, it was. I mean, I there's a church in uh, in 16 Candles where the sister's wedding is. And I know exactly where that is. Home Alone, I know exactly where that house is. I used to pass it all the time to go to hockey practice. Yeah, I know everything in those movies. So you set out to write a biography of John Hughes, but that never happened. So yes. how did you, you know, for me, I I felt like the template here was Jeff Dyer's book, Out of Sheer Rage. Did you have that in mind where he sets out to write a book on D.H. Lawrence and never gets there, but the book becomes about never getting there? I mean, I'd, I'd read some Dyer before. Uh, I'd read like his novel, uh, Jeff and Venice, and but I'd never read that book. And somebody brought that up when I was going through the, uh, the um, process of writing up the proposal. Um, for me, it was sort of like I'm obsessed with books like Oblamov and Confederacy of Dunces and uh, Don Quixote and stuff like that. And I was thinking, I'm like, I was kind of one of those characters for a few years. Uh, I mean, we all probably are at some point in our life where we think we're doing something great and big and important, but we're kind of just delusional and, you know, that's what I was doing by trying to write this biography. And I wanted to turn it into like a meditation on sort of like failing. And then my editor was like, I just want to hear about your entire life. And it didn't make any sense to me at first because I don't want to hear about my entire life. I don't know who does. And then it started to kind of click. In fact, if you had that life, you'd rather forget (laughs) about that life. Yeah. Well, no, you know, there's, I keep telling people like, there's this quote, I think it's like a friend Leibowitz quote about like, you're not interesting enough to write your memoir. And I didn't think I was. I thought if I had some like Larry David-esque sort of like screwing up and pissing people off in New York City kind of story, that'd be funny. But um, my editor was wise and uh, suggested I do this whole big book. So, And you share – I mean you're very open in the book and you share a lot of of difficult um, things that happened to you. Is it weird to have that now be out there? Yeah, I mean, it it was kind of strange. I wasn't expecting the reaction from like friends because I have a lot of friends in publishing and in media who got the book early and they just come up to me and hug me and be like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, (laughs) why? I'm okay. Um, But then I was like, oh, you read the book. (laughs) Um, I have to say, I've been waiting a lot of years for someone to tackle John Hughes in in book form. And I think there've been a couple mediocrities and you seem to really get it. I mean, the book's terrific and I really, I really devoured it. And, um, you know, let's talk about how these movies stack up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, some kind of wonderful. I mean, he has this kind of mid to late 80s to like 1990 or so run of these classic teen comedies uh, or teen romances, really, that hit when I was a little bit young. I was 11, 12, and they became my template for, oh, this is what it's going to be like in four or five yeah. years, you know. And 
I always and I've watched them periodically over the years, but I've been a little afraid to watch them in the past five or six years because I'm afraid will they hold up? And I guess I'm curious which ones do you think hold up? Um, and and are, how great are they? I mean, is it just that you do they mean something when you're a teen, or am I going to return to them at the age of forty two and say, yeah, The Breakfast Club is all that I thought it was? I mean, I think they're pretty great still. I think Some Kind of Wonderful, for instance, is is a great film. He didn't direct that one. He didn't direct Pretty in Pink. Uh, Howard Deutsch did both of those, and I think those visually hold up a little bit better. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff in 16 candles that you just could not get away with to this day. The you racial know, stuff. Yeah. The, the anti-Asian racial stuff. People would not be that into that. And, um, the date I, rapey stuff. Yeah. I think Ferris holds up incredibly well. I think it's a great film. Um, you know, I miss Jennifer gray. So we all miss the old, the Jennifer, old, the gray. old Jennifer gray, the old Jennifer gray. So I watched that and I reminisce, uh, <laughs> of the gray that was, um, I think they hold up really well. I, I watched uh, Curly Sue a few weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, I kind of like this one. I gave this a hard time, but I'm like, I really do like this movie. Um, I mean, yeah. So it's interesting. that To me, Breakfast Club is so iconic. Yes. It's the one. And because it gave you these types, and everyone's like, which type are you? You know. And um, actually, Ali Sheedy followed me on Twitter, and it may have been the best day of my life. I just had this moment. Now, maybe she's following everyone the way Tate not, Diggs does. Not following I, me. Not, <laughs> not yet. To, not yet. No. But it was simply unbelievable. I just couldn't, you know, and I have a, a, a good friend who's very good friends with Molly Ringwald. And I just, I honestly, it's like I want to touch the hem of his garment because he's been in her presence. They were so iconic. Well, yeah, I mean, Ellie Sheedy is my favorite one in that film. I mean, she's the one that I relate to the most. And I actually had dinner with some friends and they sat me across from this older lady and the entire time we're talking about books, 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 she's like, oh, I love this author, this author. I'm like, I love those authors. And as soon as we get in the cab, my friend was like, you and Ali Sheedy's mom hit it off really well. <laughs> and I guess she's a big literary She's a literary agent. Agent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> another another misconnection. So are you going to get your book in the hands of like Molly Ringwald? I, I'm trying. I'm actually, we have the same publisher um, and they were really trying to get you know they're tweeting at everybody like it's really weird i'm like guys you gotta stop tweeting at uh at cusack because cusack you know wants to tweet about infowar stuff or whatever he tweets about now and uh and he isn't no he's 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 not the infowar guy it's uh randy quaid he's oh, really, really a lot of that oh, stuff God. and he tweeted randy Thank quaid because if it were john cusack that would that would talk about well, a hero f- falling from grace cusack's really like he tweets about like a lot of like snowden and stuff like that he's okay. you know he's he's he takes to twitter for more political stuff but i was like don't tweet at randy quaid guys he's he's got all these conspiracy theories and i'm like don't do it is there gonna be are, are they have they sold film rights to your book no because it'd be funny if there were a movie made about <laughs> how about you being in the shadow of these movies and i would see that movie 20 times a day and 21 on shop it, it, pay I mean, for it <laughs> Mark goes into movies without paying. That's good. I would pay for the noon matinee and just stay for all six viewings. That would be. It would be. That would be the most meta of meta things I could imagine because it's already kind of strange that I wrote a book. Yeah, it would be trying to write a book. It'd be so Don Quixote. It would be amazing. I feel like. um, Work with me on a theory here. Mm so I always felt like there were a couple traditions going on. You had the Chicago tradition, which was which was John Hughes, and as you pointed out, a couple other movies. Um, and of course, Gross Point Blank sort of falls in that Midwestern weird. Gross Point Blank, and, I think, is a great. It's kind of like a great follow up to those yeah. films. But I always felt like there was what I called the California tradition, which was kind of coming out of like Fast Times and Valley Girl. Mm-hmm. Real genius, I felt, was in that where there was yeah. the, basically the main characters are kind of likable stoners yeah. you know, in a Val Kilmer. Or, I mean, Cusack wasn't a stoner and say anything, but he was kind of a West Coast. Just chill. Chill. Yeah. And there wasn't the same angst. People weren't getting beaten and obli- there wasn't bullying in the same. I don't know. It felt like there was a, another lighter tradition going on. Were you into those movies as well? I'm like, def- yeah. did Fast Times mean a lot to you? Is it- I mean, Fast Times, I think, is a great movie. Um, you know, Val Kilmer, I think, in uh, in uh, Everyday Genius. Is that Real that, Genius? Real Genius. Oh, I thought so that, good. I haven't seen that one in a few years, but I'm sort of like. Uh, that's a good one, I guess, you know, but Fast Times is the one that kind of gets me. And then, you know, Some Kind of Wonderful and Pretty in Pink are both filmed in California. So I think they also kind of retain a little bit of that vibe, um, a little bit more mellow than the uh, the push and pull of Chicago, which kind of can make anything seem stressed out. So now you're doing this double meta thing, right? When you're writing this book, you're, you're, you, you've grown up looking at your childhood through the prism of these movies and now you're looking at having looked at your childhood through the prism of these movies, right? <laughs> and looking at these movies through the prism of your childhood. Right. One and going big, on podcast <laughs> and looking at all the looking. I'm going through so many wormholes right now. Where do, where do you begin to sort it out? I mean, do, do you do, when, when you when you kind of realize what the project is, do you sit down and rewatch them? Are there any epiphanies that come to you that you know should have maybe been obvious in retrospect but sort of didn't really congeal until you were 
ready for them? Well, I will say this is, I have talked to my shrink a lot about the book lately. So I've been kind of like trying to unwrap it there. Um, but you know, I watch the films now spending all of your advance on yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's all, it's all the going there, but you know, I, I watch the films now and I think it makes more sense to me than it ever did because I've watched these movies in so many different periods in my life. Like, I mean, I watched them when I was a little kid, then I watched them when I was a teenager, then I watched them when I was kind of a messy 20 something. So you watched and you say, of course I identified with the Ali Sheedy character. She represents the same kind of angst that I, stuff like that. And now I try to see if there's like a character on the breakfast club I relate to now. And I'm like, no, no, I can't because I'm not a teen anymore. Not Mr. Vernon, I hope. No, God. Well, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like the janitor. He's, he's. Yes. Kyle? Carl. 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 Which if you watch, if you watch closely at the opening credits, he's like the 1976 like person like they the, they show the yearbook. He'd like, been like the the athlete of the year or something like that. Twenty or, years earlier, or yeah, something like, like the that. guy who most likely to make it. But yeah, I mean, rewatching them now, I definitely like try to see where I'm at with these films now. That's kind of the thing instead of just being like I'm just going to mindlessly watch this um, because I have a tendency to do that with a lot of stuff that I watch because I just like to veg out. Um, and yeah, it'd be really funny to remake these films or like update them now. Yeah, like Pretty in Pink, your mom, or Sixteen Candles. You know, so when I would, your mom forgot your birthday because she has Alzheimer's because she's <laughs> eighty five now. Or, or it would just be like it'd be something really stupid, like oh, her Google alert didn't go off. And <laughs> she log into movie. Facebook and yeah. she didn't see. When I was in college, there was a guy, uh, Rob, who was a director a year or two ahead of me. Like, and he he wanted to stage the Breakfast Club. He was going to do a play uh, version. I've been saying for years and, somebody should do that. And I tried out. You know, everyone came out to try it. Everyone wanted one of the roles, and it was like, are you going for you know? Uh, you know, you're going through the Emilio Estevez, or you're going for this, you know, which, which of the roles you're going for. And, um, and it didn't come off. And I don't know if he well, got you threatened. Have, you have Ali Sheedy hair. Yeah. So you should. <laughs> <laughs> I did the dandruff shake good. just now. Yeah, but- and I knew a girl, Julie Myers, please tell me you're listening to this somewhere, Julie. I haven't seen her 15 years, who could do the Molly Ringwald dance perfectly. Oh, yeah. The dance she does on the balcony. That's a good one. Perfectly. Just perfectly. Yeah. Hit it nailed. And, um, and the show never came off. I don't know if they got threatened by somebody because you can't just stage stuff. You need yeah. rights to it. It's a, but it was, I was so excited. And the Hughes family, are, they're really protective of that <sighs> stuff I've heard. So, yeah. um, so we're not, not going to see like a live action show on NBC? No, they actually just tried to do Uncle Buck. Another The second time they tried to do an Uncle Buck television show and it failed. And the uh, family was really not happy about it. So they were happy about failing. They weren't happy are about it. Are they happy about your book? I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure. I haven't heard. Um so, so before you go to our to our audience members who sadly are not deeply knowing about the John Hughes corpus, where would you give them a give them a viewing program? Give them a syllabus. Where should they dive in? What are the essential greatest hits? Is there a place to start? Is there a place to end? What if they need to catch up? And believe me, if you need to catch up, go go catch up. Uh, what would you have them do? Uh, wow. So with just Hughes movies, because I feel like there are some no, like sub movies that you teach can teach us. Kind of, you can do whatever you want. Well, I would I would start with Ferris Bueller. I mean, I know it's kind of going backwards in the Teen Trilogy because the Teen Trilogy goes Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, uh, Ferris. But I think Ferris kind of gets you started the right way, and you know it's it's hard to hate that one. It um, is. Then I would probably go with one of the Deutsch films. I'd go with Pretty in Pink because um, you need a Molly movie pretty fast. Um, and then, you know, if you want to get, uh, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, you can kind of start with like something like Mr. Mom or something that he wrote and didn't really have anything, any of his hands on stuff with, uh, I'm a big fan of that one. All right. I had to go back to Mr. Mom. That's so weird. I, it's, it's a good film. Michael people Keaton, don't, right? yeah, yeah. People don't talk about it enough because it's in Detroit too, where he's from originally. So Hughes is from. Amazing. You may be my favorite ever Jew of the week. Jason Diamond, thank you for joining us. Thank you. The book is Searching for John Hughes. It's out in hardcover. Buy it in hard. People buy it in hardcover. Put some money in this guy's pocket. He spent too many years. What you'll learn is he spent a lot of years as a barista. He deserves all your money now. (laughs) My dog needs to eat. This doubles as memoir of a barista, basically. Yeah, kind of. It's the great barista memoir is what I want to be remembered for. Thanks, man. Jason Diamond, Jew of the week. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, with Hanukkah coming up, it's a pretty good time to give someone a really, really good gift. Stephanie, any ideas for them? Okay, I have one. Um, so Tablets Print Magazine, um, we just came out with our Hanukkah issue. It's amazing. It's so good. It has 
an essay by Jesse Eisenberg. It has um, a great piece on Ellie Wiesel by Ron Rosenbaum. It has beautiful photographs from Jillian Laub. I wrote something in there, a little, a little, a little, a little, th- a little thing. A little something. Um, it's great. It's really, I think it's one of our best issues. It's and a Sufgani King of magazines. Yes, exactly. Um, it's dripping in, in ketchup and jelly. Um, so you can get it. Text tablet to 66866 and get it for your loved ones for Hanukkah. Or then go to our website, right? To tabletmag.com yeah. and subscribe there. Yeah. We got some good mail this week. I'm going to run through a few letters. This was just a, a bountiful week at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Can I tell you how happy the mail makes me? It's, <laughs> it's the high point of every day. Our, our, Write more. We're sad, yeah. lonely people. Your love is really the only thing we have going. It really is what we do at the office is we send your emails back and forth to each other and talk about them. They're amazing. Okay. To wit. Hi, unorthodoxim. Ah, youth. Of course you guys don't think you're young. Nobody does. But I've just listened to your podcast of late November, and your citing without comment a letter from Bucky Goldstein reveals a certain unfamiliarity with this essential Jewish text that many people, <laughs> even non-Jews, a few years your senior, would immediately recognize. She said, well, I've just come back from my analyst, and he's still unable to help me. I said, what's the problem? And she paused and said, I'm a nymphomaniac, and I only get turned on by Jewish cowboys. <laughs> And she said, by the way, my name's Diane. And I said, hello, Diane. I'm Bucky Goldstein. That was comic Stephen Wright. Okay, so he continues. I'm not much of a Jew. I don't do Shabbat. I mostly don't belong to a shul and rarely sneak in. I mean, like it's not a movie theater, right? Ha ha. Instead, I listen to your podcast every week. That counts, doesn't it? Yours, Jay Livingston. It counts, Jay. It totally counts. A hundred percent. hundred percent. All right, next up. Dear Mark, Stephanie, Liel, yes, I'm still listening, and I got a rather unexpected shout-out this morning when I heard my name on the podcast. I am probably one of your older listeners. Having just turned 62, I grew up in Chicago but have lived in Northern California most of my adult life. Where I grew up, you could count the non-Jews in the neighborhood on one hand. I haven't lived like that since the mid-70s and never thought that I missed being surrounded and inundated by Jews and Jewishness, but your podcast has convinced me that maybe I do. I like that we inundate him. He's like, we surround him and inundate him. It's like, him. it's a little, it's enough. It's enough it's already. Much. While I've always thought of myself as Jewish, raised conservatox, it's hard to think of myself as anything else, and have never wanted to be otherwise, it's fair to say that my relationship with both religion and the community have been ambiguous at best. Your podcast with all the New York-based Mishagas and what shul is where and the bounty of Jewish life in Manhattan and Brooklyn has somehow awakened something familiar in me and has kindled a desire for the familiar. It's an itch, and I'm not yet sure how I will scratch it, but I'm grateful to the three of you for the push. Finally, a serious question for the in-house arch-conservative Liel. What would the Palestinians have to do in order to convince you and like-minded Israelis that they seriously want some form of peaceful coexistence? They're not going anywhere, and neither are we. So what is the end game? Thanks for your podcast, Joel. Liel, what's, what's the end? What do they have to do to convince us they want peaceful coexistence? Stop killing us. Next question. <laughs> All right. You asked for it, Joel. There you go. Dear Unorthodox, my partner Michelle and I are your most faithful listeners from Northwest London and consider you guys already as friends. It goes without saying that we are desperate to have you guys come to London. Liel, don't forget your passport. I'm particularly keen to take you guys to the best falafel in town at Pita in Golders Green Road, where my friend Shlomi makes the most amazing meals ever. Also, I am keen to organize, spelled the British way, a kosher foodie outing with you guys around Golders Green and Hendon. The organizer with like an S and like some <laughs> and a U. some U's that you don't need in there. Yeah, I like. I've never uh, been to Golders Green. That's like the Jewish area, right? Oh, that's hardcore. Yeah, that's really hardcore. You gotta go. So all my family lives. <laughs> You're welcome to come over for Shabbat or anytime and share a warm, hearty meal with us. As I was born and brought up in Brazil, I'm very passionate about my meat. So, oh, you naughty boy. So I'm already making arrangements to have Liel taste our most special cuts, seasoned and cooked South American way with grill marks all over it. <laughs> I gotta say, I, if there's one thing that would get me to London, a city that I profoundly dislike, it's Brazilian. It's it's this promise charred meat. I this love is the best offer. You enjoyed it. Leo's like sweating with desire I, right I'm now. I'm there, man. I loved the past episode with Naftali Hanau and his whole hashkafa on koshering the kosher meat market. However, I think you could have spent more time with him, as this is a really nice and important subject, one that deserves more attention. Mark, give us an update on JJ. You left us with the description of her paracentesis and a catheter installed to drain her abdominal fluids. Refua Shlema for JJ. Yours, Gabriel Katanhede. 
Uh, uh, people still believe that JJ is real. <laughs> JJ is fake news, people. Don't you know that? And Mark's just making up like worse and worse stories. So at the risk of causing Stephanie Leal to pass out, they, uh, I will say that she is now strangely shaped because the fluid got drained from <laughs> one part of her abdomen, <laughs> but not another. But she seems happy. You know, she she has a little more spring in her step because she's she? lighter. Well, we think she does. Dogs don't tell you, unlike no, cats who really tell you. All right. And my cat's fi- never happy, so. Final Final, final bit of mail because this is so good. Hot, and we, we say so good. I mean, every week we feel like we've, you guys have outdone yourselves, listeners. And yet, hi, Mark, Leal, Stephanie. I look forward to listening to your podcast every week so much that when I went into labor with my third baby on a Thursday morning, I listened to you guys as I was getting my epidural. Hope you all have a happy Hanukkah. Best, Rachel Minor, Randolph, New Jersey. Like, let's go there now. <laughs> We will babysit your children. I mean, we're serious. We'll change diapers. We'll clean the house, cook, whatever whatever you want. We totally will, actually. Like, Rachel, if you need – and we're good babysitters. Like, I, Liel and I actually have kids. I've seen Stephanie with my kids. Like, I, I don't know that I would call myself that. <laughs> your own I'm kids are adequate. a delegator. Yes. <laughs> anyway, exactly so right. we wrote back to Rachel, and um, she told us that her son is Matan Benjamin, uh, and that he's six months old, but it took her a very long time to write because this is her third child under the age of four. Uh, anyway, a, a mazel tov to Rachel, Rachel Miner. Rachel is in the trenches right oh now. Oh, my God. God bless you, Rachel. Like, But seriously, we will come babysit. So and I'm sorry you have to listen to us. Should we put out a special unorthodox kind of lamaz? Oh, yes, Like definitely. childbirth prep. It's like, Hi. <laughs> This is Mark Oppenheimer saying, push. Uh, some Mazel Tovs of the week. Liel, what you got? My Mazel Tov is to uh, UN Ambassador Samantha Power, who being the author of the doctrine that claims that the United States must, as a moral imperative, intervene in a case of genocide, uh, is doing very, very, very little to help the people being slaughtered right now in Aleppo. So mazel tov to you. For Samantha, what? What are you mazel tov for? For doing absolutely nothing. Oh, I see what he did oh, there. Oh, clever. Uh, Stephanie? I've got a slightly more sincere one. Mine, um, my mazel tov is to Naomi Firestone Teeter and the staff at the Jewish Book Council who just came out with Paper Brigade, their first annual literary magazine. It's so gorgeous. It's beautiful. The The cover illustrations are by unorthodox guest Chris Knoxon. They're great. Really? They're, they're different readers sort of reading different things. Um, it's really, really cool. And you can, you know, we always support especially Jewish organizations doing print print initiatives now, yes. obviously. I've um, heard some good ones are doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's the moment. So go to jewishbookcouncil.org and uh, you can get it there. It's beautiful. Amen. Awesome. Um, my mazel tov is to another new production. Our guest last week, uh, Naftali Hanau and his wife, Anna Hanau, finally had their son, their as yet unnamed son, who is my second cousin, twice removed. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. The show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision is by Rabbi Joe Schwartz and kosher slaughtering by ExxonMobil on Twitter. We are at Tablet Mag. Our music is by Golem. We record in Argo Studios, which is in Ravenclaw House. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network of fine podcasts. If you want more to listen to, go to panoply.fm and you'll find it. And hey, if you've made it this far, maybe you want to take part in a fun game that we're doing on an upcoming show. It's a little game of Jewish geography, and I'm not going to say any more. But if you're intrigued, send your phone number to unorthodox at tabletmag.com, and we just might call you. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.